Hello, and welcome to Wellness Wednesday with 3W. Wellness Wednesday is sponsored by 3W Medical for Women, a nonprofit medical clinic offering free of charge or low cost reproductive health services to women in the Seattle area, regardless of income or insurance status. 3W does not profit off of the reproductive health choices women make. The information shared in this podcast is the opinion of the speaker or speakers. Medical information is not intended as individual medical consultation, but for general education only. Always consult your own health professional for personalized advice regarding medical decisions. And if you're in the Seattle area, consider making an appointment to consult with us. I'm Alejandra Guido, Content Marketing Specialist at 3W Medical for Women and the host of today's podcast. Well, welcome, welcome. We're here today for another Wellness Wednesday podcast. And my name is Alejandra, and I'm here with Dr. Susan Rutherford. Hello, Dr. Sue. Hi there. How are you? <laughs> Fun to have you sitting in today. Oh, thank you. Yes, I'm super, super excited to get to step in for Helen. She's enjoying her stage of motherhood as she's taking care of her new baby boy with her husband. So I'm super happy and excited to be here to get to share this new topic with mm-hmm. our with our listeners. So today we're going to be talking about what are the most common STIs and when should you get tested? So we're going to be diving into more detail about those questions that you may have and get yeah. our expert advice from <laughs> Dr. Rutherford. Yeah, this is a recurring topic because it's one of the most common issues that we address with the uh the women and the men who come to see us for this purpose. And uh, so I we've talked a bit before, but probably last year sometime. And yes. so it's time to maybe revisit it a yes, little bit. Yes, definitely. So you were asking me, well, what do you mean by STI versus STD? Yes. So sexually transmitted, or the S and the T. Mm-hmm. So... Years ago, decades ago, um, we always called it STDs, sexually transmitted disease. Okay. And it's also called venereal disease. But then, long before politically correct became an actual phrase, people decided, well, you know, really, maybe we should call it sexually transmitted infection because people don't actually get really sick all the time or have an actual disease. Right. So I joke with people and I say, well, a sexually transmitted infection is something that happens to you mm-hmm. and a sexually transmitted disease is your fault. <laughs> so I see. Okay. <laughs> but that's not that's not the case, but it's interesting that some organizations that were pushing for the use of STI like the American College of Obstetricians and Gynecologists, mm-hmm. said, let's not call it STDs anymore. Let's call it STIs. Well, everybody's sort of falling back into STDs. So Okay, but it kind of broadens the scope, right? Yeah. Of- well, it's just it's just whichever you choose to use. Okay. So we're using STIs here. Right, um, okay. Just out of consideration for how people might feel. And that's the only reason it, they, they're this identical. <laughs> so, okay, But Good we just say STIs because... We're here to help. We're not here to judge people. Exactly. Exactly. All right. So now that you've cleared that and now we have the understanding of, of what that means, what are the most common STIs? So the most common by far is uh, chlamydia. 
Is that and, right? Yes. Okay. Way leads leads by far and away um, across the country. The second most common is gonorrhea, and then you start to get more much more distant with like HIV and syphilis. And the CDC and public health departments of states and counties track all these things. In fact, these are reportable conditions. Hmm. So anytime we get a positive lab result, we actually have to fill out a form and send it in to the King County Public Health Department. And wow. they, they track all these things. It includes patients' names and contact information hmm. because historically public health has been responsible for trying to suppress outbreaks of various infections. And of course, people have a better understanding of that now with COVID. Right. They recognize this, you know, tracing contacts and that sort of thing. But the chlamydia in particular has gotten so very common mm-hmm. that they don't bother to follow up on it at all. They're just using it to collect data now. Is that right? Yeah. And it's so, because it's so it's just widely... so widespread. Yes. Okay. It's so widespread. Wow. And gonorrhea too. So mm-hmm. I I think some of the things uh, like HIV, they might follow up on, mm-hmm. but I don't. I don't know. So okay. when we've tried to contact them with questions, they just say we're too busy. We're too busy. So oh, interesting. Yeah. Well, that's really good information to know. You know, because you hear about STIs, but right. you don't know what their names are or right. what they entail. Right. And it kind of ties into my next question for you, Dr. Rutherford. What are the typical symptoms of each? And, okay. you know, what so, is that? Yeah, so there's um, there's actually a long list. And there are some things that we don't even bother discussing much because they happen very infrequently. Some of the mm. skin disorders of the what's called the vulva, which is the the area around the opening of the vagina and the bladder and everything that on a woman, that's called the vulva. Okay. And so sometimes uh, we don't even talk about some of those things, but people do come in with bumps and questions. So then we, you know, then we discuss it. But the main ones uh, that we test for are ones that can have serious health consequences. Okay. So, but interestingly, most of these don't have much in the way of symptoms, particularly mm. for women. So the chlamydia and the gonorrhea um, are bacterial infections, and they can be treated pretty easily with antibiotics. Okay. Um, in women, they often don't have symptoms, particularly in the early stage, early phase of this. Mm. Men are more likely to have symptoms basically burning with urination. Mm. So, But women, unless it's in the urinary tract, won't necessarily have it. If it's just in the reproductive tract, in the vagina, mm. et cetera, then they may not notice much. They might have a discharge. They might have a little bit of spotting. Okay. The cervix can get an infection and get really inflamed looking when we do an exam. Oh, wow. And they have spotting and it bleeds when you touch it. Mm-hmm. So people might have, say, bleeding after intercourse. Okay. Um, and that could be caused by chlamydia or gonorrhea. Mm. But most of the time, people don't have much in the way of symptoms. Okay. So they do need to get checked if they could have contacted it and most people don't don't know that the risk is associated with number of sexual partners okay so if you just have one partner and your one partner only has you mm-hmm. as a partner mm-hmm. then your risk is essentially zero but as soon as you break out of that duo and and start adding other people in at any stage of your life 
then all of a sudden you've got exposures. Okay. So, and the more you do that with the hookup culture, the risk is extremely high. Hmm. So, and so that that ties in too with my next question: Is it possible to tell if you have an STI from your symptoms? Because there may be women, men that experience symptoms, but not e- might not even think that That's right. it's related to an That's STI. Right. Well, women often come in with uh, various vaginal complaints like a discharge or odor mm-hmm. or maybe a little spotting or something's just off. Mm-hmm. And so one of the things that we include in the discussion is not just could you have vaginitis that's not sexually transmitted, but could you have um, an STI? Right. So we do offer that testing. Okay. To women that come in with uh, vaginal complaints. Okay, and so with that, with knowing that information too, are there possibilities that women don't experience any symptoms whatsoever? That's correct. In fact, that's the normal. Is that right? Yeah, <laughs> that's so. the most common. Which <laughs> okay. means you just have to use your head to decide when you're going to get tested. Right. You know. Right. Did I put myself at risk? Right. And if so, then. You need to you need to get tested. Some women will come in every three months and just get a panel of lab tests every three months. Is that routine? Usually, the about so, the time frame for a lot of women. Yeah, for a lot okay. of women because they figure that's long enough to have had. You know, they know their lifestyle best. Mm-hmm. But um, mm-hmm. you know, some might say, "Oh, I'll come in twice a year," or "I'll come in annually." Mm-hmm. But um, but we do have some women that just come in every three months and. We know, and they just come in maybe for the chlamydia and gonorrhea. Okay. So, but there are other STIs, sexually transmitted infections, Mm -hmm. and some of which which are generally more serious. I think one of the things you had on your list of topics was was how serious are these things? Yes. Well, I mentioned chlamydia and gonorrhea are pretty easy to treat. Mm -hmm. If they go around untreated, then they can cause infection that works its way up the reproductive tract in women Mm. and can cause infertility, for example, or cause scarring of the fallopian tubes, which can lead to tubal pregnancies, ectopic pregnancies. I see. So they also can get a lot of scar tissue in there. They can have chronic pelvic pain. They can have pain with intercourse. You know, so there can be some long-term consequences. Some women go through infertility workups and one of the one of the stages of that is doing some studies to look to see if the tubes are blocked mm. or even looking inside surgically. And so some women never knew they ever had a, an infection uh, like chlamydia or something, but you can see surgically it's like, oh boy, there's all that scar tissue. Well, she did have an infection. Yes. And the body basically healed itself. Mm. If it doesn't, then it can form a pocket of infection, form a big abscess. They can end up with fevers. They can end up in the hospital. You know, so things like that can happen. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. so the basic message is if you're possibly at risk, get checked, get, get checked. tested. Yeah. Mm-hmm. The mm-hmm. chlamydia and gonorrhea, uh, we, the women that come in uh, repeatedly but don't have symptoms, just want to get checked, we actually send them into the bathroom with a little Q-tip swab, a special oh, okay. one that goes with the testing kit, and then gets put in this little tube and it gets sent off to the lab. And so they can basically get that in their vagina, wipe it around a lot, and send it off themselves. You know, they can do their own testing. They don't even need an exam. Right, So right. those are the simplest. Okay, so, and yeah. that reassures them, right? If, yes, if it's negative. If there's say, anything I'm at okay all. right now, yeah. Okay. If you got chlamydia or gonorrhea, 
that um, that can show up pretty quickly. The testing, so you can as soon as one day after get after being exposed to chlamydia, or mm-hmm. two days after being exposed to gonorrhea, you can get a positive test. Really, that soon? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's usually like by five days or six days. So basically, within a week. So if you have symptoms, then you're looking at one to three weeks probably for the symptoms to show up. Or maybe two weeks. For gonorrhea, it can happen pretty quickly, actually, less than a week. You wow. can have symptoms like the discharge. Or if it also gets in the urinary tract, then burning with urination for the women. Mm, okay. and, but for the men, they may get it. You know, they get the symptom much more quickly. Right, Because right. it's urinary, and you notice that more. Yes, yes. Yeah. So um, some of the other ones that are really important, everybody's heard of HIV. Yes. Okay. Yes. And that used to be considered a death sentence, mm. but with the antiviral medications they've developed, it's become more of a chronic illness, although long-term, mm-hmm. you know, that could you could still die from HIV. Mm-hmm. Um, that one takes much longer to find if you've been exposed to HIV. If there's a known exposure, people can take prophylactic antivirals to try and reduce the chance of them actually getting HIV. Mm-hmm. And in some populations, they do what's called pre-exposure prophylaxis. So mm-hmm. if somebody knows they're going to be exposed to HIV, they actually take the medication before the exposure, before having sex. Is that right? Yeah. For That's, protection? A, for protection. Mm-hmm. Mm. Yeah. So it's it's really important to know, you know, your partner's history or... And it's really important for people to communicate with each other, you know, because that's a, that's a serious, a serious, uh, serious disease if you actually get, get the HIV. If you were to get it, then it, the testing is looking for whether or not your immune response has developed. So, you know, after you get a COVID vaccine or after you have COVID, they can do a blood test to see if you have antibodies. Mm. Okay, so that's the same process for HIV. Did you develop antibodies to the HIV virus, right. human you know, immunodeficiency virus? Mm-hmm. And by about four weeks, so about a month, by about a month, 95% of those will show up and okay. can be detected. By 12 weeks, it's like 99.9%. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, so basically by three months. So that's probably one reason that some of these women come in every three months for mm-hmm. testing. We don't have a regular frequent flyer guys yet, but we do have guys that come in. It's <laughs> that good. Have heard about it's us. good because it's it's yeah, it's a yeah. necessary. Yeah. Rarely test. you can test negative at 3 months and then 6 months test positive. Mm. So sometimes it can be a real delayed reaction, but okay. that's HIV. Another one that takes a long time to detect is uh, syphilis. Okay. Yeah, syphilis is actually a type of bacterial infection, but again, they detect they they are detecting your body's response to it. So okay. generally, it's considered about three months mm. before you can be tested for for syphilis. It's theoretically possible in say three to six weeks. Okay. But mostly three months. So for HIV and syphilis, for most people, I say, you know what? Why don't you just check in three months? You know, and if you did, of course. The, because both of those are very slowly progressive, mm-hmm. probably a month or two doesn't make a whole lot of difference to treatment outcomes. Mm. You know, it's like some things you want to treat like this right week. Away. Yes. yes. <laughs> <laughs> you know, certainly if I had uh, breast cancer, I'd, I don't want to wait two months to have my surgery. Right. You know, so this is 
This is a situation, though, where probably that bit of delay doesn't um, cause a big problem. Okay. I'm not an expert in treating syphilis and HIV. And also, just the first tests that you have are screening tests. They're not absolutely confirmatory. Oh, so you could right. get a positive test for either one. And you have to have confirmatory testing done because there can be false positives on both of those, HIV and syphilis. Oh, is that right? Syphilis. So mm-hmm. you go through a chain of testing. Correct. You go through a chain of testing. Okay. So you do the screening. If it's negative, great. If it's positive, it's like, well, you're going to need to have some more testing done. Mm-hmm. At that point, for syphilis and for HIV, people should really have very detailed physical exams, very, you know, a lot of, basically a whole medical workup. Okay. And follow up and preparation to treat and all of that. That's not something we can do here. So we can start that screening process. But if we get a positive for either one of those, we need to send them to someplace infectious disease experts or maybe a King County the okay. STD clinic mm-hmm. uh, that they have down near Harborview. They've got a lot of expertise there. There's a lot of infectious disease expertise in this county. Mm-hmm. So there are um, many places you can go and you'll get good treatment. You'll get top of the line, you know, treatment. Care. That's yeah. so good. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's good. So now with all these different types of STIs, mm-hmm. yes. how is it? I know you mentioned a little bit about the testing here specifically, I, the self swab. Mm-hmm. What other types of testing? Yeah, these others are all blood tests. Okay, so we have to draw blood. Okay, sorry, we have to do a poke. <laughs> <laughs> Our goal is to do one poke and draw three tubes of blood, each of which can be sent for two different tests. <laughs> okay, so it's That's pretty basic. Goal. It's pretty, pretty basic, basic, right? It's pretty basic. Okay, uh-huh. and what are the costs, and how long does it take? So, you know, coming here is different than where you'd go for most places for costs. So I'm actually not going to share publicly our cost list on this podcast, mm-hmm. but it's pretty inexpensive. You know, it's, it's out of pocket. Mm-hmm. We don't bill insurance. And, and the people that have insurance and where insurance is billed and everything, the numbers look vastly different. So people that have had, you know, we do pap smears too. People have had their pap smear done at a doctor's office say, well, I got this bill for this large amount. And, and you know, I mean, we're maybe, you know, like 10 or 20% of that cost. Right, so, right. So I'm, it varies by lab. It varies by doctor's office, at clinic, varies by insurance reimbursement, all that sort of thing. But ours are pretty inexpensive. Yes. So we, we have a lot of people come in saying, you know, I just want to be sure about all of it. Mm-hmm. I'll have the whole list. The whole panel. So, there yes. is one I haven't mentioned mm-hmm. that people yes. choose to have, but it's not it's not something that you need in order for treatment. Okay. Per se. But that's herpes. Herpes oh, is yes. pretty common. That's right. Yeah, genital herpes in particular. There there's herpes type one and herpes type two. You can get herpes type one or two in either the oral or genital locations. Most commonly, type 2 is genital and type 1 is oral, but it can be either place. We recently, in one week, we had two women both test positive for type 1. They actually had blisters Mm. in their vulvar area, and we we rubbed it with a little Q-tip swab and sent that to the lab, and they identified the the actual type 1 herpes virus Mm -hmm. in that sample. But if you don't actually have blisters, open weeping blisters, then um, you can have a blood test that says whether or not you've ever had it. 
doesn't tell you anything about when you got it, mm. anything like that. So but it general. says, yeah, it, it, it's again, testing antibodies. Do you have antibodies to type 1 or antibodies to type 2? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. If you have antibodies, theoretically, you can pass it on because it never completely leaves the body. Oh, yeah. is that right? Mm-hmm. The virus kind of migrates along nerve roots and hides in little, little gang, what they're called, it's ganglia. They, it kind of hides in there, the virus sort of just, you know, I suppose it's like mistletoe on the oak trees in California. You know, it's kind of <laughs> symbiotic or something, I don't know. Oh, okay. But it's just sort of sitting there, Yes. you know. And then something changes in somebody's general health, mm-hmm. and all of a sudden they can get sick from it. They can even get uh, meningitis, mm-hmm. encephalitis. You know, you can get really sick from that if you if your immune system gets compromised or something like that. Mm-hmm. Other, but that's rare. The more common situation is, say, if somebody has genital herpes, they have the first time they have blisters. Usually, I've seen a few that were positive that they had no recollection of having the blisters. But sometimes wow. people feel like, oh, maybe this is just an ingrown hair or something. Oh, yeah. And then they, you know, so they dismiss it. They dismiss it, you know, and then found out later they actually did have herpes. But some people, it comes back all the time. You know, it comes mm. back every few months. Or if you have six episodes in a year, then the CDC recommends suppressive therapy. So there are good antivirals if you only occasionally get breakouts. You can, and this can work for the uh, oral herpes too, the fever blisters mm-hmm. type of herpes. You can take some acyclovir, valcyclovir. You know, you can take some of these drugs, and and as soon as you start to feel like, ooh, I think I'm getting a blister, I'm getting this tingling, you can start taking it and cut the episode really, really short. Right. Um, but some people, if they get keep getting recurrences like six or more a year, then the recommendation is to take daily medication okay. indefinitely. Wow. So it's not fun. Right. But so now now having talked mm-hmm. about all these different types yes. of STIs and I know you've mentioned a couple ways it can be treated, but what is easiest or which are the easiest to treat uh-huh. and which are the most difficult to okay. treat out of So the easiest all these. would be the chlamydia and gonorrhea. Okay. Although the gonorrhea there was an option for just oral pills, but now they've said too much drug resistance, so mm. it has to be an inject. Well, two drugs: an oral plus an injected okay. drug, okay. injected antibiotic. Mm-hmm. So you know, it depends on how well you like needles, as far as whether it's easier or <laughs> not. But right. the herpes is pretty easy, you know. Okay. But again, you're just suppressing it, right? Yeah. Right. But that's just pills. Okay. So that's pretty easy. The syphilis is actually easy to treat in the fact that it's penicillin, but mm. people that are allergic to penicillin then they have other other antibiotics they have to use. The biggest thing on syphilis is that if it's left untreated, it can cause no symptoms until you get to the point where it's starting to like infect your brain. Mm. So back before the days of antibiotics, people died from syphilis. Is that right? Yes. And it was a miserable death, really miserable. They lost their minds. They had, you know, rash all over. Yeah, Mm. it was miserable. And so in some of the Victorian era literature, the you know, you'll you'll hear about that. In fact, I'm going to digress. The yes, the PBS show Victoria. Oh yes, you may yes. remember that the was it the cousin of the, the Albert Albert's cousin. Uh huh. Yes. Tried to introduce him to having sex by taking him to a, a brothel. 
I yeah, don't before he got part. married. Yes. Oh, okay. Well, he didn't have sex. He just had the woman explain things to him, according to this the PBS special. Anyway, I see. But this, uh, but this cousin was a frequenter of this mm. very high class, you know, and so he falls in love with a gal in in England who's a lady-in-waiting or something like that. Okay. And um, he's been to a doctor, and the doctor says everything's fine. He climbs out of his bathtub, and his valet says, oh, oh what's this rash on your back? Hmm. And you just see, you know, you're, he's facing you. You can see the top of him having climbed out of the bath, and he's getting ready to have this fancy dinner and propose to this lady. And his valet says, well, what's this rash on this on your back? And you can just see his face fall. Oh, wow. And the next thing you know, she's been given a note that he won't be coming. And he goes back to Germany. Because that rash, you know, they didn't say it explicitly in the PBS special. Mm -hmm. But you knew he had syphilis. Wow. Yeah. And to treat it, not having an option other than... There was no treatment. No. That's so difficult. That's so difficult. So there's a lot of history behind these things. Yes. It's kind of interesting. For sure, for sure. So Okay, so you're asking about hard and easy to treat. Yes. So that's so. easy. The hardest, well, HIV's become chronic, you know, pills. So mm-hmm. I, th- I think the hardest thing is the fact that you have to get lots of regular care, regular checkups, follow things. Oh, hepatitis Consistent. is the hardest. Hepatitis. Okay, yeah, that's the hardest. The least successful, I would say, okay, is the treatment okay. of hepatitis. Hepatitis C's gotten pretty treatable. A lot of people are doing well after that treatment. But isn't it amazing how we've yeah. come such a long way from yes. the Victorian era to yes. now, <laughs> yes. and how it's very, very mm-hmm. able um, to be treated? Yeah, you know. Yeah. Wow. Well, so our final question is: Other than HIV and AIDS, is it possible? For someone to die. So, uh, again, HIV has become less lethal. Mm -hmm. Um, I think mostly long delayed. Okay. But still, you know, because you can get other, you can get certain kinds of cancer from that. The syphilis, as I mentioned, untreated Mm -hmm. is lethal. The hepatitis is, is lethal potentially. If you get chronic liver failure and it's due to hepatitis, I don't think they can do a liver transplant. Mm. because you still have the hepatitis virus in your body. I don't know. Uh, you'd have to ask somebody else on that one. Okay. But I certainly if there's any, any evidence of any active infection, mm-hmm. you wouldn't qualify for a liver transplant, I'm sure, because it's in your bloodstream. Right. So you put in a brand fresh new liver, and you just start going through the same thing again. It's going to get infected and, and um, um, fail or get liver cancer and mm-hmm. so that's so hepatitis is probably probably one of the most lethal. What else did we talk about on the list? Some of these other things we haven't talked about like genital warts mm-hmm. and HPV, mm-hmm. human papillomavirus. It's actually technically the most common sexually transmitted infection, but it shows up mostly on uh, abnormal pap smears and it takes 7 to 10 years for the HPV infection to cause an abnormal pap smear to maybe turn into cervical cancer. Mm-hmm. So that's the reason for the frequency of, of uh, pap smear testing and right. things like that. Right. There Some types of HPV are high risk for causing cervical cancer, and some cause genital warts, mm-hmm. which are a bunch of little bumps, and they can be in the vagina, on the cervix, on the outside, you know, right. Right. on the man, anywhere. Mm-hmm. They can be just about anywhere. Okay. Um, I think HPV causes some of the other warts. 
in our body as well. Wow, too. all these but, all these symptoms that you could yeah, think could be but something you're not, or not. Yeah, you're not likely to die from those things. Right. Actually, newborns could have major problems because if the, if a, if a baby's delivered and a mother has genital warts, the baby can pick up that virus, and as they're coming out and they're they're starting to breathe and scream and they inhale all this fluid and everything else, they can get the virus on their vocal cords. Mm-hmm. So. Wow. Yeah. That's so that can be very harmful to a newborn. Wow. Sometimes it's an indication for a C-section to avoid the vaginal delivery in the area of warts. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Usually with there are lots of warts if there's just a little one. A few. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Wow, but, this is all such good, good, insightful information. And I, I know that it's amazing for each woman that comes in, you know, yeah. uh, and gets to get this education from you of just what are... Yeah. The symptoms. We've a, yeah, we've got a great team. We are working on putting uh, upgrading our app, so we're going to link more and more to much of this educational information. Yes. In the meantime, one of my favorite go-to sites is the CDC. Yes. So that's yes. www.cdc.gov. And mm-hmm. you can you can access the information that medical professionals look at. It's more lengthy reading, but and the patient information is is quicker and gives most people probably what they want to know. Right. But it's they've got tons of information there. Yes. And you can even research the incidence of these things in the country. It's always a few years. The numbers are always a few years behind the the. Okay. The, you know okay. the data collection and right. processing and organization. <laughs> yes, but well, that's one of my favorite sites for the STD. Yes, information. That's very STI. good mm-hmm. to know, and it's great because for those who don't know, our clinic one of our main things is education, right? So it's not yep. just coming and getting your appointment, but it's yep. coming and learning about why, whether it's your symptoms, your concerns, whatever yep. it is, you know. So yep. and Dr. Rutherford is so good at educating all of us including us, the staff, you know, to learn more about how I to I think, best. is it true, sometimes the staff are hearing things from me they'd rather not hear. <laughs> but it's all good information, all good yeah. information. Well, and we have two nurse practitioners now. Yes, it's exciting. Yes. And so it, the, the, the group is growing, and uh, everybody's doing a really good job at trying to help patients get what they need. Exactly, exactly. And in this month of April, it's STI Awareness Month. So this is very fitting (laughs) for this month and just staying aware. Um, For those of you who haven't come and visited us at our clinic here at 3W, we highly encourage you to come and schedule an appointment, whether it's for STI testing or just general well woman exam. But we're so excited to get to continue to learn together, right? And thank you so much, Dr. Rutherford, for being here with me and talking about this important topic because it can Mm -hmm. impact women and men, right? Mm -hmm. And the more education we have, the more we can do to better our health and our wellness. So thank you so much, Dr. Rutherford. You're welcome. Thank you. Thank you. For more information about 3W, please visit our website at 3wmedical.org. That's the number three, the letter W, medical.org. From there, you can learn more information about the services we provide, book an appointment, or make a donation if you'd like to support our mission. You can also call our office at 206-588-0311. That's 206-588-0311. If you like this episode, please share it with others and consider subscribing on your favorite podcast platform so you never miss an episode. 
Thank you so much for listening. And until next time, stay healthy and be well.